It's August, and I have had some of you come to me and say, oh, it's August, God bless you as you leave us. <laughs> Next August, I will be leaving. So let's, just in case you got that confused, with 22 and 23, Lord willing, I'll still be here for a year. So let's uh, pass that around and make sure I don't get any farewell gifts or anything yet. Thank you. And thank you, Kyle and uh, Joanne and company, for leading us in worship. See, is it, it, it didn't feel like, now it feels like, oh, good, God is here, God is with us, and it just lifts us up. Or what is that word, liftest? I got to check the dictionary if that's even a word. Liftest, liftest us up. We're going through Colossians, and next week, Lord willing, will be our last message from this uh, epistle of Paul. Uh, the supremacy of Christ, Jesus is all we need, has been the common theme. You hear about that again this morning, and Lord willing, next week as well. And then we'll be closing this epistle. And then I want to challenge you as we do that, go back to Colossians if you need something for devotional material. Now read through it again at the end, and I trust there will be messages or words you recalled that will come back to you having gone this series together. And um, following that series, Pastor Mark's going to be leading us in a message, and then I'll begin a, a series on the Ten Words of God in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, just a fresh look again at the Ten Commandments. And of course, boys and girls, there's more than ten. God has many commandments. But we're going to look at these ten principles and see how they still apply as well to today. Uh, Lord willing, that'll be the series this fall that will take us all the way to Thanksgiving. Colossians, so the supremacy of Christ, Jesus is all we need. This morning we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. These words of instructions, and next Sunday, Lord willing, from Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. First, Paul says these words. Now, he's giving closing instructions to his congregation in Colossae. And these words, of course, are challenging to us this morning as well, where he says... Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, that means being alert, and being thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Devote yourself to prayer. Um, maybe we have to, have to begin with some kind of running definition of prayer. I, I read a lot of definitions this week. Some are like sentence upon sentence upon sentence. But some are very simple. If you've met someone who, who had a maybe running definition of prayer, what would, if someone says, what is prayer? How would you answer that? What is prayer? Let's keep it simple. What is prayer? Congregational a conversation with God. Is that simple? Pretty simple? A conversation with God? Talking with God? That's really what prayer is. Now, it's not just talking with God. That's why talking with God, conversation with God means there's two things that are going on. Because when we have a congregation, one person talks and the other person listens. And when the other person talks, the other person listens. So there's this... this this two-way conversation or talk that's going on when it says devote yourself to prayer, this, this talking conversation with God. That being the case, as we begin this message, I want to ask you the question. Now, don't think of anyone else, but just think about yourself. Do you have a prayer life? 
And if you think you have a prayer life, how would you define your prayer life? Because if we would go around and ask people, do you have a prayer life? Most would say, well, I do. And then we might hear someone else say what their prayer life, how it differs somewhat from yours. Um, if you have a prayer life, how would you describe it? Now, I got a lot of contrast that I want to share with you because you probably fall into one, the realm of one of these contrasts. How would you describe your prayer life? See if any of these things describes what your prayer life is like right now. Existent or non-existent? It's alive or dead? Regular or irregular? Persistent or occasional? Fervent or half-hearted? Active, inactive, meaningful, or meaningful repetition. A high priority, a low priority. Paul says in this first verse to the church in Colossae and to us this morning, devote yourselves to prayer. And I, I want to have you catch the gist of that because that's what, that's what this word devote has everything to do with. He says, I trust that this is a high priority in your life. That it's existent and alive and regular and persistent and active and fervent and meaningful and a high priority. And maybe for some of us, that's, that's all we need to hear this morning before we go home. I got to go home and get right with God and, and stop this two-second prayer in the morning or the two-second prayer at night or the repetitious prayer that I always give and i got to work on getting my prayer life back in order. And for most of us, that is for most of us. Because we know how time can consume us. Jesus was devoted to prayer. You read through the Gospels. And here we have the Messiah, the Son of God, praying. He needed strength from time to time. And he prayed to the Father for that strength. We find as we read through the book of, of Colossians that Paul Many times, right, he says, I thank God that. And I thank God that. And I pray for you that. So we know from not only Colossians, but all of the epistles, his 13 writings in the New Testament, that he was a man of prayer. We know that the apostles, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, said one thing that the apostles, after Jesus arose from the dead, one thing they devoted themselves to was prayer. Devoting yourselves to prayer and first and foremost this morning, that's God's instruction to us. Do the same. Ditto. Devote yourself to prayer. Now, when I, when I was working through this and thinking through this, I thought, what, what kind of things am I devoted to? Um, what kind of things am I making a high priority in my life? What are the things that I do that I really have a focused attention on and that take my attention because I believe it's important and because I believe it's valuable? And I come up with things like family, my children, grandchildren, my friends. Some of you are very devoted to politics, to your jobs. Some of you are very devoted to your hobby. And some of you are devoted to community church or the church that you attend. And these are all good things to be devoted to, right? Nothing wrong with being devoted to good things, things that you value and things that are important to you. But 
how devoted are you to prayer? And how is your prayer life? If you're like many of us, it can be one of the first things to go. When you just run out of time, when you're just tired, when you don't feel like praying, it's one of the first things, one of the spiritual disciplines that is often neglected. And I think if we took a poll this morning, a silent poll where nobody raises their hands, and we ask each other, What's the state of your prayer life? Could it be better? I would think most of us would say, yeah. Especially if it's non-existent. Uh, but even if it's not non-existent, but a little bit that takes work, probably the best prayer life I had is when I was in California for a year. I, I met with three men from our congregation every week. And then when they invited me to join them, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? They said, we, we pray for an hour, like every Wednesday night. I said, an hour? You fall asleep or something, aren't you? An hour? We pray for an hour. And I thought, really? I've never prayed for an hour at a time before then. And then we met week after week after week. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves, an hour wasn't even enough to pray for all the things we were praying for. And it's kind of sad that I left that habit some time ago. And maybe I can challenge some of you, especially those of you, because... A prayer is an intercessory kind of gift. Not just learn how to pray, but learn how to take the time to pray. And most of us need to do better at making prayer a priority. And the best way can you do that is to keep a list. I find that the, that the best people who pray, they have a list. A lot of them by their bedsides. A lot of them by a, by a lamp or by a, a, a chair that they sit in in the morning or the evening. And they're very faithful in going over that list. Devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful. That simply means be alert. And be thankful so that when you pray, make sure you give thanks to God every time you pray. Notice Paul did that even in this, even in this book and other epistles. Even when things weren't going well for him, he was still thankful that God was there for him. Now, Paul, I, I believe as well, he must have had some kind of prayer list. Because when he prayed... And, and he often prayed well. There, there was one thing that he did well when he prayed is that he shared his prayer request. I, I fear there are some of us, and myself included at times, we don't necessarily want to share with other people what we would like them to pray for, for us, right? You ever been in a small group or a meeting, or, or, and you say to the person, okay, we're going to go into prayer now. Does anybody have anything that they would like prayed for? And often they're silent. And sometimes I think, boy, there's six, seven, eight of us here around the room, and there's nothing that anybody has to ask God for tonight as we want to pray together. What Paul did well is that he shared his prayer request. In verse 3, he says, listen, pray for us. Now he's talking about the, the people that ministered with him and the, as a missionary. You know, Paul was a master missionary. Uh, if, you, if you read a little bit into his life as a missionary, I, there were four great missionary journeys that he went on. And he says to Colossae, pray for us as we do the work of God, and, and that was a reminder to me. And may I say, this church, more than any church I've served, prays for their missionaries well. I'm so impressed on these quarterly, right? They're quarterly, right, Kyle? The quarterly mission Sundays where we, we, we take, not only take offerings, but we pray for them. Paul was a missionary, he says, pray for us. And we say, other missionaries, we not only, not only financial support, but we have prayer support as well. But think through that some more. It's not just our missionaries that we pray for. All of those who present the gospel to people, whether pastors, Bible teachers, 
and people like you as a Christian. You are a missionary, you know. Well, you may not have the title of missionary, but whenever you have an opportunity to meet people who need to hear the gospel, you present the gospel. Pray for us. Pray for everyone who takes part in participating in sharing the gospel. Notice, he says, I want you to listen closer to the next few minutes regarding what, what he says regarding this. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. Get this open door concept in your mind for a moment. Pray, pray that God may open a door for our message. Because I want you to understand who's responsible for what when we share the gospel with someone. Notice that he begins by saying, God opens the door. God opens the door for the opportunity to present the gospel. Our task is when that door opens, is to share the gospel. And then notice, God steps back in. And if God is at a place where he's going to uh, uh, welcome that person, it is God who opens their heart as well. Okay, we talk about closed doors, we talk about open doors. Sometimes doors are closed. There's a passage in Acts chapter 16 when Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. Because you, wouldn't you like to believe that whenever you presented the gospel, there, there's an opportunity to do it, and you want to do it, and you want to go to a certain place or to a certain person? Paul says in Acts 16, actually Luke says regarding Paul, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in that province of Asia, having been kept from presenting the word. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that. Okay, so that tells us there are times and places when God says, you might want to go someplace and to someone and present the gospel to them. But for right now, that door is closed. I don't like to hear that. But God has a reason and God has a plan and a time when someone or a place should be receiving the gospel. Sometimes the door is closed. And other times, of course, as you read through the book of Acts and to the church in Corinth, we find that that door is open and that hearts are open to receive it. We go back to the uh, gospel in Acts. And listen now, we just read a time when it was closed. Acts chapter 14, verse 27 says, and then arriving there, now they're they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and note that God had opened the door to the Gentiles. If God didn't open the door, they, they, they couldn't do it. But God opened that door. Acts chapter 16. Now we're, now we're in Philippi. We sat down and began to speak to the women there. One of those listening was a woman from Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. Thank you. A dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, but she wasn't a Christian yet. So if anybody ever says, well, well, I worship God, you say, well, that's fine. A lot of people worship God. Are you a Christian? She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the gospel message. He not opened the door. He also opened her heart. The church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has been opened to me, says Paul. God hasn't closed this door yet, so I'm staying. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me. So we need to understand this. God is the one, first of all, who opens doors in presenting the gospel to someone or to some place. 
If God doesn't open that door, he's not going to let you walk into it. He has other plans for you. Other people may be first to go to. God opens the door for ministry, and God as well opens the hearts for ministry. That's not your job either. You maybe sometimes wonder, why doesn't so-and-so just accept Christ? I, I did the best I could in sharing the gospel with them. God has to open that person's heart. God opens doors, God closes doors, God opens hearts, and he closes hearts. Notice as he goes on what, what he says as well. He says, God opens doors so that we may share the mystery of Christ. This is what the whole book of Colossians has been about. Remember different times when we ran across that phrase, the mystery of Christ? He says, I write to you about the mystery of Christ. And we learned it wasn't really, really much of a mystery at all. But it, wasn't, it was kind of kept hidden for ages. Remember what that mystery was? That not only the Jews would come to saving knowledge, but now God had opened the door as well to the Gentiles, which are all the nations. God opened that door, and we find that he could tell them the mystery of Christ that now, and in our age we would say, we offer, we give the gospel presentation to everyone, right? The gospel invitation is universal, but only those who God has called to be his own are going to respond to it. That's called election in our doctrinal theology. We don't know who's going to accept the gospel. God opens the door. We share the gospel if the door is open, and if that person belongs to God and God calls that person to be his own, he will open their heart to receive it. The mystery of Christ. And Paul says, this is the mystery that I proclaim. And it's the mystery that we still proclaim here at Community. We proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. That's the gospel. It's not just the gospel. It is the only gospel. The only true gospel. And we proclaim that so that anyone that we come into contact with, anyone sitting here this morning, anyone listening on live stream or elsewhere, when we present the gospel, we do that so God has an opportunity to open that person's heart. If God has not prepared that person to receive him, that heart is not going to be open. We need to do our task, and God will do what he has promised. And then notice right at the end, Paul says, listen, Verse 3, uh, this mystery of the gospel that I proclaim, the salvation to the Gentiles and to all who come to Christ, it's because of this proclamation that I am in chains. And how soon do we learn that when, when we get to business and, and sharing the gospel with someone? Whenever you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, whether it's a family member, a friend, a stranger, a co-worker, whoever it might be, we, we find something out rather quickly. When There is a cost to pay. Did Jesus pay a cost for presenting the gospel? And where did that, that cost end? On the cross, right? He, he paid a price. What do you know about the Apostle Paul? Did he pay a price for presenting the gospel? Did he pay a price? Persecution, mockery, laughter. He's in prison while he's writing this, this, this epistle, right? These are the prison epistles. Did he pay a price... Would Paul eventually die for his faith? He would. He'd be one of the martyrs. People can go all the way to death. You pay a price when you present the gospel. And I trust that's not going to prevent any one of us from presenting the gospel. You may not die for your faith as Jesus did, as Paul did. 
But there sure are times when you don't want to be mocked or ridiculed or laughed at or seen as less than when you're in a group of people. If they know that you're a Christian and if, and if you have an idea of being called to present the gospel to someone, you, sometimes you can have that thought. And I think that Satan is that says, listen, don't present the gospel to that person because if you do, they're not going to like you anymore. They're not going to be your friends anymore. They're not going to invite you to their home anymore. They're going to get you out of their lives, right? I felt like that at times. I might lose this person. There's a cost to pay when you proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't water the gospel down in any way to please others. You present it as it is in God's word. And let me tell you something. That takes courage. And speaking of prayer then this morning, if you have an idea, an opportunity in your mind that God is leading you to speak with someone from your family or friend or coworker, neighbor or the like, because it takes courage, before you make that presentation what do you think you're supposed to do how about praying about it well why would you pray about it say well i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go see sarah or, or fred this week and now's the time I, I think the time is right god has opened the door something's going on in their life by the way if something's going on in somebody's life that isn't very good or they're broken in somewhere weak best time to present the gospel to someone because they're looking for help when the life's going all uh, peaches and roses it, they may not be open to it. When God opens the door and someone is broken, you go and you share the gospel with them, an opportunity for them to receive Christ. Verse 4 is one final prayer request that Paul brings regarding to sharing the gospel. He says, listen, pray for me as I share the gospel so that I might declare it, so that it's all misunderstood, right? I'm going to talk so high above their heads. I'm going to show them how deeply theological I am. I'm going to say words they never heard of, but that's because that's, that's where I'm at, and I'm going to give them what I have. No? What does he say? So that I may proclaim it clearly. I'll tell you what came to mind as I was working on this and, and, and praying about it. My son's a philosophy major from Calvin. He's an attorney now, and that's good. That's where he belongs. It's not where I belong. I don't have a philosophical mind. Never been there. I've tried. Either you're blessed with a philosophical mind or you're not. So I'm in philosophy 101 at Calvin University. My first philosophy class in my life. And that was my sophomore year when I didn't care about studying at all. I just wanted to play soccer. Most of you know that. So I'm listening to this professor in philosophy 101. He gets up in the morning and he says, okay, he says. And he goes to the blackboard and goes, one plus one equals, what do you think you put behind there, boys and girls? Yeah, he, that, that could have been it, but it was two, actually. One plus one equals two. He says, I'm going to spend the next two days to get you to believe or even to question whether really if one plus one equals two. I'm thinking, don't mess with my mind. It took me all through grade school to get that right. And now you're going to tell me that one plus one Boys and girls, you go to school tomorrow and you ask your teacher if one plus one equals two all the time. So he went into this two-day lecture about showing why in some cases one plus one does not equal two. And I'm just going, stop! Please stop! I can't handle this. And you know, he's way up, you know, this philosophical mind, bringing up stuff from all through history, how philosophers philosophize, and, and why in some cases one plus one does not equal two. And I said, please, I talked to him after the class. I said, could you, you know what? Maybe the rest of these people get this, but I don't. Could you just make it clearer to me why you present this lecture that one plus one does not always equal two? Because it seems, in other words, 
You ever do this before as a girl? Way over your head. He was like way over my head, and I'm just like, man, philosophy is not my thing. Now, Paul, he's a very highly educated person, right? He was like a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was like valedictorian, Rhodes Scholar, highest in his class. Of, and that says something, because the Pharisees were all very highly educated. Well, he was kind of a step above all of them. So here's Paul going about to it. It's Christians in Colossae, all new Christians, brand new Christians, not being brought up in church school or Sunday school or, or cadets or gems or anything. They just receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Paul says, oh, wow, I, gotta, I better be careful. Because here's Paul with this deep theological mind whose theology, if you read through Romans, is so deep and so rich. And he's coming up against the false teachers in that place. And he says, now somehow I have to address the false teaching and I may have to use some terminology that these new Christians are going to say, what? What is that all about? I don't get it. So he says, listen, as I'm presenting the gospel, would you pray that when I present the truth of God's word that I can do it clearly? Not clearly. As you present salvation and what it means to be a child of God, he says, I need clarity when I teach them. Interesting, even remember uh, Peter, remember what he says about, about Paul? He says, yeah, you know, sometimes when you read Pauline literature in the, in the letters, he says, he's kind of hard. Because he's deep. You know, Peter, right, Mr. Fisherman, didn't have any kind of educational background except how to put a net over the boat and to get all the fish that you can. Peter, of course, grew in that as he grew as a Christian. If you read some of his letters, it gets kind of deep. But he says, yeah, that, that's Paul. He says, you know, people may be complaining about, you know, Paul is kind of deep here. What? He says, ah, that's Paul. You know, he's highly educated. Just to remind you from time to time to keep it simple, stupid kind of thing, right? Keep it, keep it, just keep it simple for people who need it simple. And as they grow in Christ... Then you can move on into the deeper things of theology and God and who he is. You kind of start here for clarity. The most important thing, understanding salvation. Then as we grow in Christ, and this is all what discipleship is about, you grow as well in your knowledge of him. So Paul says, pray for me that I may proclaim it clearly. Now we have to keep this in mind as we share the gospel. Some of you are really good gospel presenters. I've been around you. I've seen it different places. Uh, God has gifted you. I mean, the, just like with prayer and with faith has different levels, uh, God blesses some of us with really good gifts to present the gospel. He says, keep this in mind when you share the gospel with non-Christians. Maybe all of us need to hear this this morning. The gospel is not complicated. It can be if you present it in the wrong way. Or if you go into areas, of maybe you shouldn't go into areas when you're talking to someone who's not a Christian or just a new Christian. It can become very complicated quickly if, if I would pull you aside as a non-Christian and say, let's talk about eschatology, soteriology, anthropology, Christology, theology. Uh, let's just get into that. What? When do they say, what? No, you don't start there. You go there eventually. You want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. One plus one equals two is not a complicated math equation. My professor tried to make it that. But one plus one equals two is not a complicated math equation. And listen, this is what Paul is saying through Colossians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything is not a complicated salvation problem. Don't make it one. Simplicity first. Clarity when you present the gospel. 
as Jesus Christ, your only Lord and Savior. You meet a person, it's so important, you meet them where they're at, and you begin there. You read, read through the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus met the woman from Samaria, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, uh, uh, the rich young ruler, and he goes through all of these people. He, he didn't come with a, a patent, here's the, my Gospel presentation, here's the four spiritual laws, here's the do versus done, here's the bridge illustration. Here it all is, and poof, there, it should work. Ah, it doesn't always work that way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You, you go simply with clarity to what the gospel is. As simple as for God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. That, that's not complicated, right? Don't make it complicated. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Oh, you're hurting. You know, I have a God who can come alongside of you. But in order to do that, we need to recognize who we are and, and our sinfulness. And, and this, this God-man named Jesus came and he took away that sinfulness for us. He died on the cross and he offers you eternal life. Yeah, but what do I have to do? You just have to receive him. Now, is that so complicated? Sometimes you want to make the gospel so complicated. Jesus plus nothing is, equals everything. Jesus is all we need has been a common message throughout this epistle. And Jesus is the only person you need to be saved. So if you want to, if God opens a door for you to share the gospel with someone, don't make it complicated. And I know some of us in our training in evangelism and outreach and witnessing say, well, you know, I always use the four spiritual laws. Or I always use the Roman throat. I always use a bridge illustration. I always use do versus done. It's okay to have something that, that best that you can best present. So I'm not saying don't do that, but be careful when you do that. Sometimes, and this usually happens, when I go to a restaurant and it's a, it's, a, it's a waitress and somehow I always get in their life a little bit and sometimes it's not always so good and you think it's good for me that I, let me, you need four spiritual laws right now. No, 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 no. You find out where someone is at and you walk with them. You're hurting, why are you hurting? Oh, you just lost your mother or your, or your, your son just died of leukemia? You go to where they're hurting and you present the gospel. And, and you don't, that's not a good time for any of these four spiritual laws. You've got to say, let me tell you about Jesus who can come alongside of you. And I have so much more to tell you about him. But you start there and you go forward. We share the gospel with someone and we try to make it clear. Don't make it too difficult. Devote yourselves to prayer. He says, make it a high priority. And maybe you have, as I'm speaking this morning, uh, maybe you have a family member, a friend, a, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone that God is, is going to bring you alongside of this week. You, usually it's like, oh, I didn't know that was going to come along, because you never do. God might open a door for you to go into a door that you didn't see coming. That's God's job. I'm going to open the door. And when he does that, your job, my job, is to share the gospel. Oh, I'm not prepared for it. Yeah, you know, some of them are kind of prepared for it. Sometimes it's, this happens a lot in the hospital, and I do hospital calls. I may often go to the, the bed next door, which a lot of pastors do, and, and you just find out, oh, wow, here's, I didn't expect this today. And you have to be, be prepared uh, to share the gospel with someone that God opens the door for. And, and, and you've got to share that gospel, and then you leave it up to God to open that person's heart. Some of you have family members you've been trying to open their heart for years to the gospel, and they still refuse it. May I say kindly, it's not your job to open their heart. Your job is to share the gospel, and as long as they are open to you sharing the gospel, you keep sharing it. 
And if God in his goodness and of his grace has determined that that person belongs to me, he is one of my elect, one of my chosen children, he will open their heart. It might, be, might not be the time or the day that you thought he should. Because there are many stories that I've heard of people who've been after their family member or friend or neighbor or coworker for years and nothing has happened, but then all of a sudden on a given day out of the blue, God opens that person's heart. Our task is to share the gospel and God opens the door. Let God go about his business of opening that person's heart. But you may even pray in closing, may I say. You can pray that once God opens that door, which he's going to again this week in any number of ways, and when you share that gospel, you know what you can do when you leave? Not only if that person, you can say, I want to pray for you, pray with that person. You can go home and say, God, I did my thing. I did what I asked you, what you asked me to do. God, open their heart. Open their heart. Call this person uh, to, be, to be one of your children and let me teach them more about what it means to grow as a Christian. That's what was going on in Colossae. They were growing. Young Christians needed the sharing of the gospel done clearly. May God give us the ability and the willingness to do the same for anyone that he opens the door for that we can share the gospel and draw them to Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Boy, most of us would stand in a line this morning and, and just say, uh, yeah, I don't do this so well. I leave that up to missionaries and to pastors and to Bible teachers. I just, I don't feel called to be an evangelist. And yet we are all called to be witnesses. And all of us can even think about times as we pray where the door was open for us, that you opened a door and we didn't make good when that door is open to share the gospel just because we didn't dare or have the courage. May, may that change in us this morning. Uh, we're open, Father, to, to any door that you open to, to come into somebody's life and, and by your grace and for your glory to, to share Jesus, uh, just that, that, that gospel that's not so complicated. And even that opportunity comes this week. Uh, may that happen. And by your grace and for your glory, may you open their heart to receive Christ, because that would be a great answer to many prayers that we bring for those who are still outside of Christ and are members of our family and our friends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.